0: The word hope, and the entire epistle, Peter's entire first first epistle, uh, its main theme is hope, and we've been looking at hope in the gospel in the first twelve verses, and then also uh, holiness in the gospel. And this morning we we will continue that theme, picking up with verse twenty-two, and this carries through verse three of chapter two. Uh, now there's a slight departure, but nothing that's going to impact the overall context. And so Peter now begins his focus on holiness and the gospel through the truth. And the truth in the Bible is always the Word of God, the Word from God. Jesus is the living Word, and the Spirit is the author of the Word. So let's pick up this morning with Verse 22 of chapter 1, and um, we'll read through verse 3 of chapter 2. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever because, and he quotes from Isaiah 40, all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flowers of the grass. The grass withers, and its flowers fall away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is. Good. Holiness and the gospel through the truth of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for who you are and for the fact that you have communicated who you are and you have communicated who we are through the vehicle, through the instrument of your word. And so we pray that you would illuminate it to our hearts and minds so that we would love each other fervently. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First slide, if you would, brother. So last Sunday we completed uh, the section that we began in verse 13 down through verse 21 focusing on why Jesus is precious and why we are not. And so Peter continues that theme addressing here in these verses the importance of God's Word in making us holy. In fact, no one ever grows in holiness without the Word. In the first 12 verses of this chapter, Peter is taught a wandering people who were often without hope. Sometimes we are without hope, and that's not a good thing. In fact, Ephesians. to a people that are scattered abroad, the Roman Empire. Often they were without hope, but he is writing to let them know that there is hope in this world, but the hope is not through corruptible things. It's not through materialism. It's not through any of the things that we tend to associate in the Western culture with hope, not corruptible things like silver and gold, which he's talked about and we'll look at briefly as we move through this morning, but through a genuine faith. I hope it's through a genuine faith. And in verses 6 through 9, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Put your name in there. Indeed, we have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, and the reason for the trials, is to prove that your faith is incorruptible. Having uh, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith. So there's a beginning and there's an end. And again, we'll express that this morning as we go through the message. And the end of your faith is the complete salvation of your soul. Of my soul, the completeness of the work of God, and he talked about that in verse twenty. Who indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. The Word of God teaches us that absolutely nothing, nothing happens to God. Things happen to us. They do not happen to God. We must somehow in our finite minds remember that. So, in these first 12 verses and the verses that we just read, the genuine faith is found in the preciousness of Jesus and the redemption of Jesus Christ. We're to glory in what God has done to us, to give us hope. And that hope is in Christ's redemption. These first 12 verses, we mentioned this several times, they are defined as indicatives or they're just doctrinal teaching, expression beginning all the way back in verse 1, as a matter of fact, through that. So now we're in the second session, or the section rather, of uh, 1 Peter 1. And now Peter is moving from the doctrines to the commands. What do we draw out of what we've been taught? It's not just a bunch of facts that we're to squirrel in the back of our minds and then forget all about. So there are four commands or there are four imperatives that he gives to us here in verses 13 through 25. We've covered some of these extensively over the past couple of weeks. But I want you again to look at verse 13. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the first one is, fix your mind or your hope completely on grace at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This comes back to the completed work of God. Salvation is complete. And he's going to bring that about. In time. Now, what's the reason for our hope? What's the reason for the hope for the sojourners that Peter was writing to? It's the grace of God. Without grace of God, there's no hope. Secondly, verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So, what's the second command? like the one who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. So the first thing we do is we hope in God's grace. And secondly, we're to be holy like God. Now, we've spent some time on this. Obviously, this doesn't take place in this lifetime. But that does not mean we're to be irresponsible and say, well, we can live unholy lives. In fact a believer one that professes Jesus Christ will not live an unholy life very long turn with me to first Thessalonians chapter 3 paul writes a similar thing just go back a couple of books here first Thessalonians chapter 3 <clears throat> verse 11 Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we did to you, that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints, at the revelation of Jesus Christ." Sound very much like Peter, does it not? In fact, you may think that Peter had this epistle and was reading it, and perhaps he did. So, firstly, we're to hope in God's grace. Secondly, we're to be holy like God. Next slide, if you would, brother. <clears throat> Look at verse 17. And if you call him a father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here. In fear. So, what's the third command? Okay, first one is have your hope and grace. The second one is be holy because I'm holy. And the third one is conduct yourself in fear as you live out your mortal life. So, how does fear then relate to hope? Because he explains this in verses 18 through 20. What does he say? knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. Now, he's talked about that back in verses 6 through 9. From your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. We focused on that aimless conduct portion last week. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Read verse 21 while we're at it. Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. So how does fear relate to hope? Well, it relates because you know that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with something that is infinitely more precious. And that's the blood of God. In Jesus Christ, the blood from Jesus Christ, the blood of God the Son, secured our redemption. In other words, because the ransom paid by Jesus to God the Father to rescue you and I is not perishable, it's imperishable, it's incorruptible. Because it is incorruptible, It's the precious blood of Christ. Peter says it was foreordained, nothing happens to God, and manifest in time. God showed it to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Peter was there as a physical witness of Jesus Christ. So he saw it time and time again, and he writes 30 to 40 years later about what he had seen. Further clarification. In other words, do not treat the ransom paid for your soul with contempt. Neither you nor I are at liberty to profess Jesus Christ and then wash our hands and talk about the big guy in the sky. First of all, we don't know he's in the sky. Where the Lord dwells is in an entirely different dimension, not in the sky. If we treat the ransom paid for our souls with contempt, then Peter says this is a fearful thing because we mistreat the Trinity's blood. Okay, the blood of Jesus Christ is the representative blood from the Trinity. And if we do that, we treat it with contempt. And the word in the Bible for contempt is to take lightly. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything to me. Whatever. And billions upon billions of unsaved individuals have treated the blood of Christ with contempt in fact before we were saved we treated the blood of christ with contempt thank god for his word that brings us to faith in jesus christ now god knew the complete course of redemption before he spoke the universe into existence Because it is his course of redemption. He revealed it to sinful humanity in the person of Jesus Christ, in his mercy, in his grace, in his holiness. For without the holiness of Jesus Christ, we would not be delivered. And the love of our precious Savior. It benefits those that hear. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. It benefits those that hear and respond, not just hear. Hear and respond to the Holy Spirit's call of the gospel by placing faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's the third command that we see. Next slide, if you would, brother. Thomas Watson, the great Puritan, wrote this <clears throat> Great was the work of creation, but greater the work of redemption. It costs more to redeem us than to make us. God spoke us into existence, formulated Adam and Eve from the dust of the ground in some miraculous way, supernatural way that we don't know, don't need to know. In the one, there was the speaking of a word, our creation. In the other, there was shedding blood. The creation was but the work of God's fingers. In fact, Isaiah talks about this. I've mentioned this several times from the pulpit. Redemption is the work of his arm. It cost God his arm, his right arm, his right hand to redeem us. And number four, the fourth command, is in verse 22. Let's read that. Since you have purified your souls, since you are purifying your souls, a literal translation, in obeying the truth. We're going to spend the rest of the message this morning looking at obeying the truth. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, not of silver and gold, not of material, not of surgical magic, not of any type of medicine, but by the supernatural work of the incorruptible seed of God, which is his word. It lives and it abides forever. That word abide is the same root word that is found in the latter part of John's gospel where Jesus says, I am coming to abide with you. I I have been abiding, making my abode with you, and I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send the spirit who will make his abode with you. Now, how does he do that? Through the Word of God that lives and takes up residence. That's what the word abide means. Takes up residence in you and I. Is the Word of God residing in you? Is the Word of God residing in me? So the fourth thing is that we are to fervently love one another from the heart. And the power to love comes through hoping in God. focus of this epistle is on hope. We're to hope in the gospel. We're to learn that there's holiness in the gospel. We're to hope in the gospel's redemption in Jesus. And hope in the love of the brethren. That's you and I. All you lovely people this morning. Now, notice that he says the love of the brethren. This is not love for the sinner, the lost sinner. This is the love for the church of the living God. And sometimes, just as we treat contemptuously the blood of Christ, we treat his body, the church, with contempt. and this is not a sign of a believer this is a sign of an unbeliever so the first mark of the growth of holiness in our life is the earnest love for the brethren all the brethren all those that profess Jesus Christ starts with the pastor with the deacons, with the staff, with the Sunday school teachers, with those that work in the nursery, those that lead Bible school, those in Mission Connection, and so forth and so on. The love for the brethren. We are taught from the Bible. We're not taught in the world today this. But we are taught from the Bible that personalities are not immutably fixed at birth. Well, I can't change, that's not what the Bible said. But that we are changed through the power of the gospel. When we make a statement that that's the way I am and I can't change, we're lying to ourselves if we are professing believers. We can change. And we change through the living and abiding Word of God. Some people just don't want to change. Well, then why did you make a profession of faith? When we see these characteristics here, these commands that are listed here, and Peter is basically teaching Those that are scattered abroad, listen, these four things are vitally important in expressing the work of the Spirit of God in bringing you to holiness. So the first mark of growth in holiness is love of the brethren. If you don't remember anything else this morning, remember that. So, next slide if you would. What brings about? the ability to hope in loving the brethren. It's not a familial love, a love of family. He's speaking here of of agape love, of divine love. And this love is only brought about by the work of the Spirit of God. Jesus said, hey, you you love your families, big deal. The pagans love their families. So biblical love will always be defined as exceeding our understanding of human love. What brings about the ability to hope in loving the brethren? Let's think about this for a moment. Tools separate men from animals. Now you may have seen some of these anthropological or these these um, <clears throat> um, things on TV. These documentaries on TV that show the uh, apes using a stick to to get ants. You see, that's a sign of intelligence, and it is. Is a human intelligence? I've been to China a couple of times and people in China still eat that way. You've been to Chinese restaurants. Do you use chopsticks? I ought to ask you to raise your hand if you use chopsticks. That's a cultural thing. Okay? Nothing wrong. N- <laughs> nothing is either good nor bad that we use knives and forks and they use chopsticks the material but the tools that mankind has invented over the years i think we all agree would be far superior to a stick picking up an ant the ability We have for, and the Lord's given us this ability. This is part of subduing the earth, having dominion over the earth. We have a couple of young men here this morning that are studying to be mechanical engineers. And having that background myself, I cannot say anything more highly than thank God they're not electrical engineers. Some of you may get that later on. We have devised microscopic tools. Spent some time on this yesterday as I was putting these these notes together. You got a phone. And the smaller, the (laughs) the interesting thing about a phone is, the smaller the chips become in your phone, the larger the phones become. You ever notice that? This is an iPhone 8. And it's going to stay in iPhone 8 because I don't like the iPhone 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Because I'm old. But in reading yesterday, we have developed microscopic tools. And some of those are computer chips that are called moles. They are approximately 10 nanometers in length. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's one billionth of a meter. One billionth with a TH. Pluck a hair from your head. Those of you that have hairs in your head, pluck it, look at it. A human hair is about 60,000 nanometers in thickness. So humans have developed machinery, tools, electronics are still tools that are, in some cases I was reading yesterday that they have, they think they can get them down to two to three nanometers. So remember that when you're flying on an airplane that you got these little moles running through everything and it's telling the pilot what to do and not to do and hope the moles don't dig a hole and just go away, okay? And we have developed and built gigantic tools. And the largest one to date is the Hadrian Collider that was built from 1998 until 2008, over 10 years. It is housed in a tunnel that is 27 kilometers in circumference. That's about 17 miles. It's the distance from here to Alta Vista, approximately. And it's circumference, so that's a pretty decent area to travel, and it goes to a depth of 175 meters or 574 feet, and it's located beneath the border of France and Switzerland just to the south of Geneva, which was where one of the great reformers, a number of great reformers were born, lived, and died. Gigantic tools, microscopic tools. Surgeries can now be performed with microscopic tools. They can be performed with lasers, just a tool. That's all it is, is a tool. Lasers. And then, depending on the the significance of the illness and so forth that you have, Uh, You may have to submit yourself to very large nuclear tools. Some of you have had a number of scans, MRIs, C-scans, PET scans, all these things, they are very large, in most cases, nuclear tools. Instruments are a necessary way of life. Now, we take them for granted, but they are necessary. God's tool... If you please, and that's a poor illustration, I I'll grant it to you, is supernatural. We can't put it to a size equivalency test. It can't be measured with a microscope. It can't be measured with a telescope. It is supernatural. That is above and beyond our natural realm. Here, Peter says, verse 23, it's incorruptible, it's imperishable. Verse 7, which we just read a few minutes ago, it is likewise incorruptible and imperishable. There is no chance of any decay to the Word of God. It doesn't matter how long ago it was written, it is as relevant today as when it was written because it deals with human nature. We try to put all these things in. Well, the Bible says and we've since disproved that. No, we haven't. The Bible deals with human nature, and our nature is sinful. It is not supernatural. And the world cannot explain something that is outside of the natural realm. That's where faith comes in. There's no chance of decay in the Word of God because it's from God. Next slide, if you would, brother. I promised you, I've used this quote two or three times. I think this is the third time now. And I said when we started through this passage of Scripture, I will quote it again. Dr. R.C. Scroll has been with the Lord for five years now. He wrote this. I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. I want some of that, those surgical instruments to be, I want some of that. But you know, the Bible is too, you know. Everyone is looking for power in a program. What can we do? We're looking for power in a technique. In anything and everything except where God has placed it his word and that's important to remember Peter recalls this and he writes this to those that live in a world at that time that was they didn't have any hope and of course he wanted to bring them to a point to where their hope was in the gospel and they would grow in holiness without this tool of the word of God no one no one, I hope and pray that all of you here this morning know the Lord is Savior. Don't know your souls, only the, only the Lord does. But I'm here to tell you that every one of us this morning that are born again were summoned to obey the truth. We were taught and the Spirit of God brought us before the word and the spirit convicted us through the word and we were brought to faith. This is not something that we made up. This is the work of God. That is the instrument he uses. You have children, you have grandchildren, you want them to be born again. You expose them to this. You expose them to the church, to a church where the Word of God is preached, where it's proclaimed in all of its services. We should never have a service here where the Word in some form is read, whether it be responsive reading, whatever that may be, because that is the crux of the instrument that God uses to bring us to faith. Daniel Doriani who I'm using a a commentary by him in writing about this particular passage says, the phrase obeying the truth is important. Peter does not say that we obey a command. Peter says we obey the truth. And if it's the truth, by its nature it carries with it the ability to inform us that it's a command. And so that's what he's writing right here. Learn to love one another because of the truth. Now, Paul wrote the book of Galatians, wrote it to a series of churches. We think they were the seven churches of Asia Minor that John wrote to in Revelation chapter 1 and 2. Actually, 1 through 3. But he wrote this to the churches of Galatia. He said, you ran well. You did a good job, but someone hindered you from obeying the truth. Past tense. You were born again, but something happened. You were deceived. You were distracted. Something happened. And now you don't obey the truth anymore. So, when we look at the context in the book of Galatians and in 1 Peter here, truth equals the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. I want us to look at a few references here. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 13. Now remember what I said in the second bullet. No one would ever be summoned to obey the truth if it were not for the word of God. Look at verse 13. In him you also trusted... After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. You heard the word of truth. The word of truth is the gospel of your salvation. And responded. Turn over a couple of... Pages there to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Huh? Sounds a lot like what Peter just wrote, doesn't it? Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before the living before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you. You did not go find it. The Spirit of God brought it to you. As it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since today you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. How many of you know the grace of God is truth? You know that? It's not something that, it's not just one of those biblical, those theological terms that's thrown in there. with Oh, the grace of God. No, the grace of God is truth. And without the truth of the grace of God, no one saved. It's not an esoteric term. It's not a term that is theological, although it is. Just placed it in here so that we'll talk about God's grace. It's truth. And it changes us. And when it changes us, it brings us to obedience. And then turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Paul talked about the deception of the Galatians. Peter Peter here, Peter was pastor of the church of Jerusalem. He's also writing to a, a disposed group. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The word of truth. And the word of truth doesn't say. See, often we talk about. Our salvation in passive terms. But our salvation is something that is active. Something that is alive. Because it's brought about by the living word of God in Jesus Christ. Now go back with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. And next slide, if you would. So, somewhat of a long introduction, but what I want you to see is in verse 22, he says, you've purified your souls in obeying the truth, and you obey the truth through the Spirit and the sincere love of the brethren and we're to love one another fervently with a pure heart. So he says, you've purified your soul. Now, this is not an interesting turn. Go back a uh, term. Go back to verse two. We are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We've purified. We've had our souls sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Again, in some supernatural way. And the sprinkling of that blood. Is through the Word. Peter indicates that purification is not only unto obedience, but it also brings about obedience. We've been born again by the incorruptible Word of God which lives and abides forever. When we obey God's truth, the greater the purification to holiness. If we never open the Word, we never listen to the preaching of the Word, teaching of the Word, whatever, we're not going to become holy. We may be moral, but morality is not holiness. And we have mistaken that in many of our churches today. We assume that because we are moral, We are holy. No. The more our souls are purified, the greater our obedience. An interesting word that's used here. We're going to look at a couple of these, and then we're going to, I think this is probably the last slide that we're going to look at this morning. When Peter quotes the from the Old Testament. He is quoting from the Septuagint. What does that mean, preacher? That's one of those big words again. No, it's just the Greek translation of the Old Testament. That's all it is. The Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew. There, are, there is some Aramaic in there. There may be a sprinkling of some Chaldean, but primarily written in Hebrew. And around 200 B.C., there were a group that came together, Septuagint, meaning 70 scholars They were Hebrew scholars that were schooled in Greek and they translated the Old Testament into Greek. And so what Peter is using here is the translation of the Greek Old Testament. It's an Old Testament technical term for the ritual purification of peoples and priests. So when he says you've been purified, this is what he means. Go with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 5. First Chronicles chapter five Excuse me, first Chronicles chapter fifteen. It would be helpful if I could read that. First Chronicles chapter fifteen. Look at verse eleven. And David called for Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. These were the high priests during his day. And for the Levites, for Uriel, um, Asaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Abinadab. And he said to them, You are the heads of your father's houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourself, purify yourself. You and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place that I have prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time, This was when uh, the individual was killed. For because you did not do it right the first time, basically, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. Now, you can read more about this in chapter 13. In fact, if you look at chapter 13, it says, verse 9, And when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. The anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. Not a Levite, not permitted to do that. He had not gone through the ritual cleansing. First Chronicles 15 talks about that. Now, in the moral sense, let's look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee with from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Sanctify yourself. Purify yourself. And First John 3, turn with me there, John writes to a similar group of individuals that are scattered abroad. <clears throat> Verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed at his coming, at the revelation, Peter's talking about that too, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And notice what John says. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The consistency and the beauty Of Scripture. So I'll leave you with this this morning. Are we the folk, the constituency, if you please, the brethren of Flat Creek? Are we purified in obedience to the truth? And it starts here and it runs through the course of everyone. We have had the privilege this over the past few weeks of baptizing some children that have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. It applies to them. Now, they may not understand it, but they will. It applies to them. Have we been purified in obedience to the truth? And Peter says, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth I'll leave you with this this morning. We'll talk about this more next Sunday morning. But that phrase there, when Jesus proclaimed, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. said, I want you to give attention to hyper-hearing. I want you to hear beyond the simple sensory practice of sound striking your auditory nerve. You're not listening. How many times you tell your children that? Wives, how many times you tell your husbands that? You're not listening. It goes beyond the practice of vibrations hitting our nerves. And then the brain processing what we hear because many people hear. Behold, Jesus said, they went out of sower to sow. He sowed with the word. And four types of individuals. Some heard and were excited. Some heard and were unconcerned. Some heard and the, and the cares of the world grabbed away the seed because they blamed God for every problem that they had. But some heard with hyper-hearing, and they obeyed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Word this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that grace is a, a fact. It is the truth bound up in the person of Jesus Christ. These four commands, these initiatives that Peter has written to the to many people without hope certainly without hope it was far far more hopeless than we are today and so our prayer Lord is that we've purified our souls by obeying the truth and as we'll learn this causes us to love the brethren I thank you this morning for Flat Creek. I thank you for the opportunity we have to proclaim the word. And my prayer is, of course, if one that is here that is unsaved does not know you as Savior, as Redeemer, as the preciousness of, Je- in the preciousness of Jesus Christ, move in their heart to save them today. As a child of God, none of us are as holy as we should be. And forgive us of that, Father. So I do pray that you would guide us and bring us to the truth that we would be purified so that we may in a spiritual sense be able to carry the ark of the word to a lost and dying world. Have your sweet will, your divine way, and the remainder of this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to sing a closing hymn this morning, and we will give you an opportunity to respond to the Word. Peter can write this way because he's lived through this. He's lived through it in his own life. He's been very boastful and boisterous about his love of the Lord Jesus, and Jesus many times would chastise him for that. But his heart comes through time and time again. If you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, we can't save you, but with an open Bible, we can lead you to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of the grace of Jesus Christ will be made real to you. The truth of the person of Jesus Christ made real to you today. As we sing, we'll give you an opportunity to make your way out of the pew. We can take you to a a private prayer room with an open Bible, leads you to saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you are responsible to answer the summons. God has issued the summons. You are responsible. Child of God. The Lord may be leading you into the fellowship of the church. Perhaps you know the Lord as Savior. Maybe you need to follow him in Believer's Baptism. We encourage you to make that uh, decision today. We also encourage you uh, to... um, if you know the Lord as your Savior to join perhaps with by statement of faith a transfer of a letter. As a child of God, let's continue to commit ourselves to purify our souls as we obey the truth. What number?